Hello family. Well, we're back to alert level four. And even though this means no in-person gatherings, we are still so privileged to meet online together. As our country battles this third wave, we want you to know that our leaders and staff got together online this week to pray for you, our congregation, and our province and nation. We were so encouraged by Psalms 34 to constantly speak the Lord's praises. Why not hop onto our chat function right now and comment on some of the praises towards our Father? And as we do so, let's worship the Lord together. your home today. I pray that you would bless the Lord today, that where you are right there in your home, that you say, Lord, from the inside of me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to declare that you are God and you are King and that, Lord, you are enough for me. We're going to sing a song now that declares that Christ is enough for you. And as we play the song, let it not just be something that we sing, but let it be the depth of your heart. Worship unto the Lord and says, Christ is enough for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. with us this morning and renew 
your faith and say, but I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. Doesn't matter what comes. There's no turning back because he never lets me go. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. sing a new song it's old but it's new because we're singing a different version of it and we're gonna start with the Zuli part it says in English with everything I have I will bless you Lord from the inside out and then later it talks about how with everything I have I will praise you I will worship you Lord from the inside out so I'd like to encourage you to sing the song with that in mind, like, what does from the inside out with everything look like? Does it mean you have to perhaps change your posture right now? Stand, sit, lie down, kneel. What does that look like for you in your home right now? I'd like to challenge you to show the Lord how do you worship Him? How do you praise Him? How do you bless Him with everything?
God, what a privilege, what a joy to be together again today. Even in these times, Father, where where we're so aware of the struggles that many people are going through, we trust you and we thank you that your presence is with us right now, that your goodness, Father, will be our testimony during these days also. And thank you for being with us as we gather around your word right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to just give you opportunity right now, as we always do, to to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings. So won't you get ready and just follow the prompts on the screen and uh, give as you have purposed in your heart to give. We're still busy with our series in Overflow, and uh, we've been having a great time with just considering the, the, the source of life that God is and how water is often used in the scripture to, to show that to us. And today, the title of my message is Overflow, Overflow of Truth. And um, I want to talk to you about how God has provided more than we need in terms of truth. Uh, You know, we live in a country that is dry. It's quite arid. I mean, 2018, Cape Town was getting close to day zero. And we know that droughts in the Eastern Cape, in the Free State, in the Northwest Province, every part of our nation is affected by drought on a regular basis. And drought is when there's not enough water. And when water runs out and the complications and the difficulties that that gives us as people. Now, in the scripture, when the Lord speaks to us and, and the scriptures we've looked at in the past, it tells us that, it, that in terms of his provision for what we need, there's no drought possible because there's an overflow. God is the source of the living waters. And we've spoken about that, how he, from who he is, provides for us as the living waters, everything we need for life and life that can be lived in abundance. But yet we face challenges as people where sometimes spiritually we talk about how people can go through a time of drought or be in drought. And how's that possible? If God has more than enough and is he, if he's the overflow of this living waters, this provision of abundance, how is it that people can sometimes end up in drought and in places where they have no water? Um, and I, and I want to say that's possible because of one of the key strategies of the enemy to work against us. And what Satan does is he's the deceiver, as the scripture says, the liar. And so one of his strategies that he takes with us to, to keep us from this source of life-giving water that is available in God and from God is that what he does is he tries to direct us away from God as a living source of water and deceive us into trying other sources of water and thinking that other sources would provide for us. And then we end up often in a place where it's like drought, where we we don't have, because we do not come to the source of living water. And remember, we spoke about that with cisterns, for instance, in early on in our series and how we can come to places where there's not enough water because we trust in man-made ideas. And I want to take that idea a little bit further today about how the enemy through deception gets us to not have the living water that God has for us. And to do that, I want to go to this little book in the New Testament that's actually a one-chapter book uh, by the name of Jude. And in Jude verse 12, 1 verse 12, uh, there's this great scripture uh, that uh, Jude gives to us. And he says in, in this, he says, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice. He uses great imagery to describe for us this reality, this dynamic 
of the false teachers that come in to distract people, to take them away from God's provision and to lead them to other sources of water that ultimately will not supply for them, but will cause destruction. And he uses great imagery to describe that. But I want to focus on this clouds without rain today, how he describes them. And, and we know what clouds without rain look like in, you know, particularly sort of September, early October, when our rain starts building and we start building towards rain here, particularly in Gauteng, you know, our best rain should come about middle October. We often see it September, October, where the, the cloud starts building and you'll see in the day, it looks like it's going to rain. It promises so much that there's rain coming, but then nothing happens and the, and the clouds just dissipate again. They're clouds without rain. He uses that picture to describe how false teachers are alive within this community that he writes to. And he says these false teachers are people that promise a lot but deliver little. They promise you like clouds without rain. They promise they've got life-giving water to you. They promise they've got sources of life that will sustain you. That's even better than the water that, that, the, that, that is available in, in the current understanding of Scripture and what these people are being taught by their leaders. They promise them there's better water, but Jude is trying to expose this and saying, look, this water, this, these guys are clouds with water. They make big promises, but they can't deliver on it. And actually what they're doing is they're drawing you to polluted water. And we know what polluted water looks like today. I mean, we face such a huge challenge in our oceans right now with all the plastic that are floating around in the ocean. And there's projects happening across all the world to try and get rid of all this pollution in our oceans. Our fresh water, um, if I'm correctly, correct in saying that only 3% of our earth's water sources are actually fresh potable water and that gets contaminated so easily through different ways and, and through just our human lifestyles we contaminate our water and, and it brings disease and it brings so much problems for us but and, and that's why uh, Jude uses this analogy to say instead of the fresh living water that's available to you, these false teachers are trying to draw you away from that and to bring you to water that's actually contaminated. So what I want to do today as we look at this idea and, and look at basically at the book of Jude is to almost create a little bit of a survival guide for you and to say this is how you make sure that the water that you're drinking is fresh and is good for you. These are the things to watch out for and this is how you do get fresh water. So today, in that sense, is a little bit of a survival guide uh, in, in, in our spiritual life in terms of fresh water and in our lives and how do we get fresh water. So I'm going to start reading the book of jo J Jude, and then we're going to just make some comments as we go through it. Now, just remember, uh, fantastic that Jude is another half-brother of Jesus. James, we spoke about a while ago, actually about James in one of our series, but here's another half-brother of Jesus Christ, and that he, this is Jude. And he writes, and Jude, the book of Jude, often goes together with with the book of Second Peter and commentators often um, talk about them together because they both deal with false doctrines and false teachers and draw attention to these realities and these dynamics. And my heart in looking at this today, and, and this was a survival guide that I want to do with you, is so that, so that you don't end up in a time like this with such difficulty and so many strains and challenges that we're facing, that you don't end up in a place thinking that you are being cared for and fed, but actually ending up 
with no sustenance, but that you can draw from the pure water and the pure sustenance that God has available for you, especially during these times that are so challenging. So the first point I want to make is, uh, is Jude in, invites us and encourages us to contend for the faith. In Jude 1 verse 3 to 4, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only Savior, uh, as our only sovereign uh, and Lord. And um, so he says this, he says, look, I was wanting to write to you about, you know, positive things about salvation and the wonder of that. But now I feel compelled and he feels compelled because he's observed that in that community, there are false teachers that has moved in. And we don't know specifically who he's writing to. So perhaps this could be a more general letter to churches uh, in the Palestine area or wherever. But he's writing and he's saying, I've observed that false teachers have made a home among you. These people that actually have been been warned about early on in scripture already and that they that that we've been told that they will be that they will be punished for this i want to highlight for you that this is happening in your midst that right now there are false teachers that have come in and they they are ungodly people and they pervert the grace of god and into a license for immorality and he and he particularly one of the things that they were seeing obviously was that there was a there was a there were teachers that were teaching things to people that were leading to an increase of immoral lifestyles, of, of people not keeping within the, the boundaries and the, the, the prescriptions of the scripture in terms of sexual morality. That that was starting to loosen and people were starting to enter into a space where they were not behaving correctly. And, and he says, this is directly tied to these teachers that have come in among you. And he says now, so he says, listen guys, we need to remember that there's, from time to time we have to contend for our faith. We have to fight for our faith. We have to stand up for the truth and what is right. Everything is not true. Everything is not acceptable. There are times when things come in and they try and deceive us and they try and draw us away from that which is the life-giving uh, water that is the kingdom of God. And we need to contend at those times and make sure that we stay with the pure water and not begin to drink this contaminated water and not fall for these people that are like clouds without water that promise so much but they've actually got nothing to deliver there's times that we contend for our faith and even in our day today there's times that we have to stand up and and say it's not something we like to do it's certainly not something i like to do um, and and don't do very easily uh, is to stand up against something and to say this is not a truth uh, but in terms of inter in in the church it's it's a bit easier for us to stand up about things that are coming from outside of the church that we know is clear that is not right but sometimes there's teachings and things happening within the church and we have to call it out we have to stand with all the grace and humility and say look this is is not right and he says it's time to contend for the faith uh, the second point he makes is that because there's punishment for perversion in verse 5 to 7, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. 
And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. Now, one of the things you'll notice in the book of Jude is that he takes every point in threes. Somebody said that, that Jude was the first guy to develop the three-point sermon. Every statement he makes, he has three examples or three points that he puts to it. And, and you'll see that as we go through. So here he says, he wants to make this point to the readers to say, listen, guys, perversion will be punished. And he uses three examples from the Old Testament that refer to where perversion was punished. First of all, he talks about the, the Jewish people that were in, the, in, in Exodus and how they turned against God and the punishment that they got because of that. He speaks about angels and, and that, that, that did not stay within their place of authority and how they were punished for that. And then he speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah that was punished for their sexual immorality. And so he quotes these three things as a reminder to these people that perhaps got to a little bit of a place where they were like oh you know let's just love everybody let's just accept everybody let's not fight let's you know let's just just as long as we're kind as long as we you know we, we just embrace everybody we'll be fine and he's saying to them no no when there comes things that are of a perverse nature nature into your midst God doesn't just shrug his shoulders and, and you know say whatever you know, just uh, whatever. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. God will deal with it. God punishes perversion. He has always stood up against it and he will continue to stand up against it. So don't be fooled and don't think that everything is fine and everything's good. And, and as long as we just kind towards one another, then everything will be acceptable. He says, no, punishment is there for those that, that distort the truth of what God's kingdom teaches and what God represents. And then he, and he continues to, to now begin to describe for them what he is observing amongst them. And the first thing he says is that they, these people that are perverting justice is that there's an arrogance, a slander. He uses the word slander. There's a disregard, a disrespect for God's truth that these people are showing. And he says these things have consequences. When you start thinking you know better than God, there's consequences. And, and so verse 8 to 10. In this very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you, that these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals will destroy them. And, and so a couple of things that he's saying here for us that we need to pick up on. He says, These people have whimsical ideas and, and, he, and he uses the word on the strength of their dreams. It's like they wake up at night and they have these dreams. Last week we spoke about dreams and remember I said to you, we believe that God speaks through dreams but not every dream is of God. And, you know, and I said to you, I'm not into this heavy dream interpretation stuff because that's where we sometimes get in trouble. We think that every idea we have can be inspired by God, every dream. And so often we have, we have breakaways from the Christian faith and sects that begin and, and, 
you know, false doctrines that are developed because some person has an idea, has a dream, has a, has a brainwave to think that they, they, they finally uncovered what the truth really is. And then they start adding to scripture or moving away from scripture. And he says, these are ungodly people that just because they've dreamt it, because they think they, they put their own reasoning in far too much respect on that. And when they do that, when they, when they put so much authority in their own thoughts, they start disrespecting the other authorities that God has established, even authorities of celestial beings. He says that these guys start saying, ah, no, man, they, they know better. And, and he uses the example of how the archangel Michael, a, a, a being of ex excellent authority and of high authority in, in the heavenlies, when he was contending with the devil, did not disrespect the devil, but, but still respected the authority that Lucifer had when he was contending with him about the body of Moses. And he's saying there's a respect in the kingdom of God. There's an there's a understanding of authority. These people begin, you can start seeing who they are. Perhaps one of the first symptoms that you must look out for when you're dealing with false teachers is this overestimation of their own authority. And of their own thoughts and, and what they think to be true. Um, and then he, and he says that and the, yes, these people slander whatever they do not understand. Because there's always things in the kingdom that's beyond our understanding. And, and people that think too much of their own authority don't like things like that. And they begin to slander and break down that which they don't understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, will destroy them. And, and when these people start living by their own understanding, what actually happens is it's like their, their base animal instinct starts taking over. Their, 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 their human drives, their very human drives, the, the sexual drive, the drive, the hunger drives, the, the drive for, for, for fame and money, those very human drives, driving forces in our lives begin to take over because you're actually in a position of pride and you're starting to, to, to look for what you you want in life he says this you start seeing developing with these false teachers and he's saying watch out this has consequences and he says it will destroy them the problem is not only that it will destroy them but it will cause destruction for many others it will cause pain and heartache and many to lose out on this fresh water that God has because they would have been contaminated by the drinking water so he tells us that Watch out for this, this prideful slander. But we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Uh, in, in the next verse, he actually takes this a bit further. And in verse 11, again, remember I said Jude does everything in threes. He uses three examples from the Old Testament of great errors that people have made. And that he's obviously observing in the communities and he wants to draw their attention to it. He says in verse 11, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. These people that have become arrogant and think they know better, they have become, they've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So he, he, he reminds them of three Old Testament examples of people that stepped away from God's truth and, and, and stepped into these very human desires because of arrogance and the, the consequence that it had on their life. Remember Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and uh, the, the vegetable farmer, the first, the sons of Adam and Eve, uh, the first generation to be born on the earth. And um, the jealousy that arose because Cain's offering was not accepted by God, where Jacob's offering was accepted. And this brought animosity between the two brothers to the point where this pride and jealousy arose in Cain. And he caused the first murder that we know of in Scripture. And he murdered his brother. And, and so what Jude does is he says, 
this is firstly, I want to show you that amongst you, I'm starting to recognize because of this arrogance of these teachers, that there's a pride and there's a jealousy that arises. Because what, literally what would probably be happening is these teachers would be, would be fighting and be jealous over the, the apostles and their teachings and the authority that they were having and the influence that they were having. And in their pride and jealousy, they were starting to murder with their mouths. We're, and we know that of other examples in Scripture. They were starting to slander and say bad things about the other apostles and about the Scripture and about what God was saying in the Scripture. And there's this pride and this jealousy, this nastiness, he says, this is arising among you. And this is how you begin to recognize a false teacher. Is this arrogance that is displayed in this pride and jealousy that talk bad about others and break down others. And it's so sad often. Don't we even see it today in the church? And that's why I say it's a, I don't do that, that easily talk against anybody else that, that you know, professes to be a Christian and teaches the word of God. But you know, sometimes with great humility, you have to ask questions and raise your hand and say, listen, I, I don't agree. Scripturally, I don't think you're on solid ground. And, and so often, you know, I've done that a couple of times with people. Nor, you know, I try and do that privately and one-on-one -on -one with somebody, not publicly on a public platform that I have. I don't use my public platforms, you know, social media to fight with other believers and brothers and sisters. But there's times where I go and, and will have coffee or tea with somebody and, and say, you know, and, and certainly I allow that when people want to do that with me and come and show me something that they think I'm not understanding correctly. And I think those things happen best in private. But, you know, we have to have a commitment to the word and the truth of the word. And there's a humility that comes in it. But sometimes we as leaders can, can think too much about our own interpretation of things and, and become arrogant in it and, and then break others down and use our public platforms to, to tear others apart and to speak bad about others. You know, I, I, I don't think... You know, that's not something, like I say again, I do, there may be extreme cases where you have to mention and say, listen, guys, but even that you do with humility. But we, 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 there's, a, there's a humility that we have in our belief in the scripture. The second uh, example he uses is Balaam. Now, if you remember, Balaam was this guy that was around in the time of the Exodus when, when Israelites were moving from Egypt. And uh, there was the king of the Moabites, Balak, and he, he, he wanted to, to get rid of the Israelites. They were causing him problems, this group of people traveling uh, through his land. And so he contracted Balaam and he said to Balaam, listen, if you go and prophesy a curse over these people and curse them, then, then, then I will bless you and I will do good for you. And, uh, but Balaam refused. He said, I'm not going to curse these people, but what I will do uh, is I'll give you advice, King Balak. And he said, all, all you need to do to destroy them and to, to break their power is get them to marry, the men to marry with Moabite women and begin to influence them in that way that they will turn away from their God and turn to the God of the Moabites. And, and Balak took that advice. And, and so Balaam did this because he were, had a love for money. He's a prophet that stands out in Scripture as this person that was, able, was in a sense prepared to sell his influence and his prophecy and his power of prophecy for the love of money. And this is the second thing that, that Jude warns the community and us against. He says, the love of money can corrupt even good people, even people that are really called by God, that, that have a 
that have a desire to serve God, money can lead them astray. Money can contaminate and draw and, 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 and bring the, 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 the teachings that they have and the, you know, sort of uh, bring them into just a distraction and into a place where it distorts what they are actually supposed to be teaching. And this is something we must watch out for. And certainly in their day, it's, it's often mentioned in, in the New Testament that there were these struggles with people that were really about the money. I mean, we know that from Judas, uh, right in the word go, that denied Jesus or, or betray Jesus because of, of money. And, and it certainly is around in the body of Christ. Um, I don't think by far the vast majority of, of pastors and ministers from all denominations and groupings are not in it for the money. Then I, I've, I've very rarely actually met people that are in it for the money in terms of ministry. But it does happen. And we must watch out for it. And even today, in our day and age, where perhaps in certain sectors we so equate money with God's blessing and, and how, how, what we drive and what we live in and what we wear is a sign of God's blessing. And if, you, if God is not for you, then, if, then you'll see it by the fact that you're not wearing good and, and we have to look a certain way and dress up. And, and I, they, they can be correct motivations within that but a lot of it can become very skewed very often particularly if I think of Paul that was so countercultural and didn't live up to those pressures of his time and didn't want at any way money to draw it to be a, a hold on him and that's why he was often a tent maker and refused to be cared for by the churches when when he could look after himself because he money wasn't the shouldn't be an obstacle it shouldn't contaminate the pure water and that's something we must watch out for that sometimes these clouds without water that promise much and have these great teachings and these wonderful products and and everything that they do it, it is exciting and it draws, but it's actually clouds without water. There's no real sustenance to it. There's no real truth to it. And he warns the community against that. And then the, the last example he gives is Korah. And this speaks of a rebellion against authority, a spirit of rebellion. Korah was also in the time of the, of the Exodus. And uh, Korah was a person that rebelled against Moses and his authority. And uh, actually stood up against Moses and led a group of people to rebel against Moses. And um, actually appointed himself a priest at a stage to, to be the person that would be uh, the one that would, uh, you know, be, the people would come to him instead of to Aaron to have access to God because he believed he had a better way and he understood things better and he rebelled against the authority that God appointed and, and this arrogance that was showed. And he says here also, you will notice it beginning to happen in your community that as these false teachers begin to move and with their arrogance and their pride and their jealousy, they begin to polarize, they begin to pull people apart, they begin to draw people away unto themselves. They, they, they're building not the kingdom of God. They're building their own thing. They, they're not building around who Jesus is. They're building around their own person and their personality and their gifting and their strengths. And, and not in a way that ultimately points to Jesus. And he says this will start to distract and, and, and bring disunity and bitterness and anger into the community of the faith. And this rebellion will begin to be displayed amongst us. And that will destroy the unity. And unity is such an important thing in our communities of faith. So he says, watch out for this. Watch out that you don't get drawn into these things. So, so through this, he's described for us now the contaminated water. But now he begins to tell us now, you know, he starts moving over into what do we do to be able to, to drink the right water and not be in the contaminated water. Uh, but I want to read verse 12 again for you because it's such a great verse where he says, these people are blemishes at your love feasts. He says, these are not outsiders. These are people among you. 
that are bringing this, that, that, are, that are the clouds without water. They, they're eating with you without the slightest qualm. They act like they're part of you, but they're actually not part of you. They act like they've got your best interests in mind, but they've actually got other things in mind. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. He says, man, you've got to be careful of these guys. They look so innocent. They look so powerful of it but this is a real problem but now how do we deal with this problem and he basically gives two parts to how we deal with the problem of deception and false teachers and he says rightly the first thing you do is you look after yourself you look at yourself you you take responsibility for yourself before you start worrying about other people and are they false teachers or whatever you have to make sure that you are keeping yourselves right Focus on yourself in verse 20, verse 20 and 21, he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And, and I love these words, keep yourselves uh, by the building up of yourself. So he says, what are you doing? You, you can't blame false teachers. You can't, you can't stand one day before God and say, oh, sorry, Lord, I missed it completely because I believed so and so. You have a responsibility. You have to make sure that you handle the word and that you understand the word. And so he says, again, there's three things. If you want to keep yourself strong and, and be in a place where you don't just get sucked into and easily believe these false teachers, then these are three things you have to do. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. And that in its context means to understand the word, understand the authority of scripture. Give the scripture authority in your life as, you know, it's the, it's the inerrant word of God. Give it its high authority that it needs. And then obey the word and stay with the word. Teach yourself in the word. Strengthen yourself in the word. Handle the word. Meditate upon the word. And you know, it's easy for us as believers, even today, you know, with and in lockdown time and, you know, that we can just flip channels and we can go on YouTube and we can watch all these millions of sermons and, and hear great things and think that we are being strengthened in the word. But, you know, at some point, it's your own word dealing with the word that strengthens you. And you can never abdicate that. You can never just listen to other people. It's important to do that. Listen to the right people that, that handle the word rightly. And certainly for us that preach here in our Hatfield context, what we try and do when we preach is, is handle the word, but in such a way as we present it to you so that it, that it opens up the word for you, that you can go and have a a greater love for the word perhaps and, a, and even a little bit deeper understanding and, and, and equip you so that you can take the word and go and dig deeper and understand the word and, and let God speak to you personally through the word. Not your own revelations and dreams, but what the word really is saying. What is the truth of scripture? There's nothing that can replace us handling the word, feeling the word, the texture of the word, the, 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 the text of the word, the, the weight of the word. You know, it's like I can remember going to like Thailand, you know, where they sell on the street everything in a knockoff. You know, you can buy anything for cheap there. Most of the time it's a knockoff. And so they have these expensive looking watches that they, they want to sell you. And they, they hold up the watch and then they want to tell you this watch and they want to bargain with you. Um, they don't like to give you the watch because the moment you hold it, you can feel this is not real. It just doesn't have the weight. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel because, you know, if you've handled the real, 
not that I have handled really expensive watches, but you know, you, you know what it feels like and you can go, mm, this isn't quite real. It's like now we're watching Wimbledon now, you know, and uh, you, you, every time before a professional tennis player serves, they hold the balls. They, you can, have you seen that? They play with them in their hands and then they always throw one or two back and look for another one because they know the kind of serve they want to give and they know the feel of the ball. They've handled them so often that they can, they can feel the little nuances. When is the ball, you know, strong enough, heavy enough, if, if, it, if it's, you know, whatever it needs. And, and if we handle the word, we begin to, when somebody teaches something and says something, we smell and we go, something doesn't feel right. I don't quite know what it is yet, but something doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like the word. And I think that's important for us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, knowing the word of God. Then by prayer in the spirit. By spending time with the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired the word, by being with the Spirit, not just praying one way, but two-way praying, praying into action, dialogue with God, talking with God, hearing the voice of God, understanding the voice of God, the leading of the Spirit, submitted to the word. That's why the word comes first. And then this leading of the Spirit that, that will always go in line with the word. And he says, if you do this, you, you will begin to keep yourself. And then he says, wait in God's love. Don't be afraid, in a sense, what he's saying is don't be so afraid of false teachers and their teachings that you fear that you don't want to believe anything. You know, we can become so skeptical and so cynical that we don't want to believe anything. Some point we have to believe. Some point we have to say that something we trust. But what we trust is God's word and the authority of God's word. And, and people that are appointed by him and that hold to the truth of God's word and that are diligent in God's word, th th there's a sense that you can trust that. Don't be afraid because God ultimately will hold you. He will protect you. If, you're, if you do what you need to do, if you keep yourself, if you keep your heart in the right place, and if you are diligent and, and, and uh, uh, you know, accountable for your beliefs, then, then God will keep you and hold you. Don't be afraid. Don't be, but wait in God's love. But God's love also is not just anything goes. God loves according to his word and what he describes love to be. And then the last thing he says is now, this is what we do to in ourselves as we're dealing with false teachers. But how do we actually deal with the false teachers? How do we actually deal with false teaching in our midst? And there again, he gives us three categories of how we deal with it. In verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So I want to say there's three categories that he says. First of all, he says, how do you deal with the doubter? The person who's now been exposed to false teaching and that is starting to ask questions. That they've not, they're not deceived, but they, they're wondering, they're doubting. He says, have mercy on them. You know, don't be harsh with them. Don't reject them and be unkind to them. You know, typically like in our days, put an arm around them, take them for a cup of coffee and, and answer, help them answer their questions. Share with them, share with them the truth, expose them to the real so that they can begin to feel that which is not real and that which is not authentic and that which is not good. That they can taste and see that the Lord is good, that they can taste what fresh water tastes like so that when they taste the contaminated water, they begin to something doesn't taste right. It's not quite good. Spend time with them. Have mercy on them. Draw alongside them. We all go through times where we doubt. Perhaps in a time like this, with all the pressures of COVID-19, some people are buckling and, they, and they've, they're struggling with their faith and what to believe and what to listen to. Uh, come alongside those people. Don't, don't, you know, turn your back on them. Come alongside. Help them. Spend time with them. 
have mercy. The second, what do we do with those that are, are deceived? They're not the deceivers, but they are deceived. They've now bought this, this false teaching. They're now you know, in it, and they believe it. He says, with them you try and snatch from the fire. So a little bit more like active, a little bit more, you know, in their face kind of attitude. You know, how do you snatch somebody from the fire? You've got to get close to them. You've got to grab them. And he says, when somebody's in like that, that's the time where you actually, you know, get a little bit more close to them and in a sense, you know, speak plainly with them, if I can say it like that, without being unkind, without being harsh on them. But that's when you have to start dividing the word for them and say, listen, there is a fire and you are now getting into the fire. And I want to show you this is the problem we have with this teaching. And then you have to do some good, some good explanation with them and help them understand and um, to see what the truth is. And that's our responsibility. We can never force anybody. We can't make people's decisions for them. Ultimately, people have to decide what they want to. But every now and then you have to sit with a brother or a sister and say, listen, this is not according to the scripture. This teaching is not right. And there's a lot of stuff going around the church, even nowadays, that from time to time we have to sit with somebody and say, no, that's not what the scripture teaches. That does not fit within the broader context of what the scripture, it doesn't hold its own within the scriptural context of the, the totality of what scripture teaches. And, and we have to do that from time to time. And then the last one is, what do we do with the deceiver? Not the people that are just deceived, but the people that are actively going out to deceive others, that are promoting the false teachings. And I want to say here what he's, he's using good language to say is you've got to recognize that, first of all, that they are a false teacher. You've got to categorize them in that sense. You've got to say, look, this is a false teaching. doesn't mean I hate the person, but this is a false teaching and I have to oppose it. But he says, then be careful, be careful. Because you cannot, again, you don't want to come into a place where you are full of arrogance and pride and, and try and, and, and lord it over and beat that person. So you still come alongside in a sense, but where you are now saying to them, you are deceiving people. You are causing a problem and, and, you, and you show that to them. And then you're careful because if you're not careful, they will draw you with them. Because often people that are in that place where they've bought into a teaching like that or some false teaching and, and they're promoting some false idea and they buy it hook, line and sinker, you're not going to convince them. You're not going to change their mind. They believe it, and there's forces at work in them. Deception makes them almost able not to see the truth anymore until God does something in their own heart. And you can, you can sometimes help with that, but often, you know, don't get drawn, drawn down with them into the contaminated water. Don't drown with them. Uh, be there. Be the voice for them. Hold them accountable if you can. Tell them the truth. But you've got to be careful. You've got to give them space in that sense. And, and that's sometimes where it's really hard for us, where we have to tell others, look, that person has bought into deception. And please, you know, because we're protecting the, 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 the flock, the, the community of the faithful, we, we need to say, look, that's, that's not a teaching we believe in. And, and again, that's not something that we easily do. But there's times where that has to be done. That's how we deal with deception. And then the last two verses, verse 24, 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. 
our ultimately our concern, our focus is not on the false teachers. It's something we're aware of. It's something we have to deal with from time to time. But our focus is on the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's what we're going for. That's what we're looking for, is to be with God now and eternally, to, to not miss out on this amazing water that he has given us, to live off this water, to be a community that seeks the truth and to live from the truth and to flourish and to overflow with this truth, that, that when people are around us and are part of our community, they feel that there's something solid here, there's something good, even if they can't explain it, even if they don't have enough unscriptural understanding, but they'll go, this is, this is true, this is, this is authentic, this is real. And, and therefore we watch out for certain things and, and we keep those things at bay. But we, we pursue the one who is able to keep us. God is able to keep you. I want to thank you for joining me again here at home today. We've had our fourth son test positive for COVID. So we, we're still in, in, uh, in isolation for a little bit longer. And thank you for joining us at home today and uh, for letting me share with you. And, and, and again, please, my heart is to say to you, God has enough for you, more than enough. There's an overflow from his presence that you, you don't need. Every now and then we may think we need some, something different, something new. Perhaps we think, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I need something more exciting. I want to say to you, there's nothing more exciting than the truth of God's scripture. Dig deeper into the scripture, handle the scripture, get to know who God is and, and his thoughts and his, and his plans for your life. There's nothing better than that. And, and let's journey together and remain faithful within that which God has called us. So I want to pray for you as I end and pray that God will help you and strengthen you and that, that, that you will be able to steer clear from the clouds without rain, but that will find the clouds of God's blessing and favor in your life because of his truth that overflows in you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we can be together today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity and the truth in your word that you are so, that you love us so much that you don't just shrug your shoulders and allow us to do whatever we think is right, but that you instruct us, that you bring us close to truth so that we can have life and life in abundance. I want to pray for every person that's with me uh, just during this sermon right now. And I trust you, Father, for a stirring in their hearts to desire more of your word, to love you more, and to just walk further in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And wherever people are being rattled and being confused and even doubt coming in because of all the stuff that we are hearing today, both from in the church and outside of the church, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray let that, that truth will be become recognizable in their own hearts that by handling your word and spending time with you and being instructed in your word father that there would be a, that there would be something solid in them that would be able to discern and recognize that which is not true and so that we don't waste time in our lives chasing after clouds without rain and i thank you for that lord Bless us. Keep everybody safe. I pray for your protection over every family, every person uh, with me here today in this service, Father. And we trust you that you would, for our nation, that you would guide us and lead us and keep us safe during this time. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. It's been wonderful to be with you today.